Hi there. Hey. Tina, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing interviews over the last little while and really enjoying what feels like kind of being invited into people's lives a little bit. And so I'm excited to have you here. And uh, every time we connect or get together, it's always a pleasure. So thank you for making the time. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, sweet. So uh, for people that don't know you, I was hoping you could share a little bit about uh, what might be what you consider your life's work or yeah. what, what it is that you yeah, love doing in the world. Sure. Thank you. Um, it's a funny thing our life's work. And when I look back, everything all adds up. But if you'd asked me that I, what I'd be doing now, I'm 48, you know, 30 years ago, I would, it would not be this, but it all adds what up. What would it have yeah. been? Oh, good question. Oh, I would definitely be like dancing on a stage somewhere. I would probably be traveling with a suitcase full of costumes and sparkly things. Any place a spotlight was is where I would, where I would be. Mm. Um, I'd be in the entertainment side of what I really do, which is story work. But I, for so much of my life, I was on the, the side of performance or on the side of, frankly, the stuff that I kind of push away from now or harness, but I don't let lead anymore. Mm. Um, so what I do now is I'm a story coach and really it's, you could call me a professional listener, if you will. I track, I follow. And what I'm the most interested in is listening for what isn't being said, but is totally hovering around, waiting to be heard. I think of stories like toddlers, that they will chase you down, stories will hound you, they will tug on your shirt, they will throw themselves down in front of you, they just want to be listened to. And once you give them a good listening to, that's where the transformation happens, I think, from the story perspective and you as the person receiving that story. So, you know, it sounds all like this big thing that I do, but I help people write books. I help them put their keynote together. I help them listen to the story that I say is like the print inside of them. If, if, even if it's not supposed to live in some sort of communication form, it's just part of the way they want to live. What's the divine narrative inside of them? What are the words that describe who they are and how they're made and how might that live in the world? Love it. I love that. Can I add one more thing? Of course. Because it's like the newest thing. Yeah, give it. Okay. I'm currently on a ministry path, and I'm actually the new minister with a, another minister. Lorraine Ashdown and I are ministering at the Little Red Church on Bowen Island. Now, if you'd asked me that, <laughs> I'd be like, what? What? In fact, when I, when I told my friends, I think I'm on a ministry path, and they're like, like church? I'm like, Yeah. So what does that what does that mean to be a minister? I I I only have ideas about that. So right, fill me in. right. Yeah. That's exactly that. Yeah. That's exactly it. So, um, I I I don't actually even know how to answer that yet because, in the way that I listen to story, it's still telling me. And I and I'll always say sometimes you tell the story and sometimes the story tells you, and I'm in the totally in the place of it's telling me. And my job is just to keep showing up and showing up and showing up and following and following and following. Um, but what, what, um, when I, 
when I sit with it and track it back to my life's work, it's another version of story. And so can I tell you my theory about story? Of course. <laughs> okay. So I think of story like creation itself. It's like it's a pulse. And what I love about your work is that it, the, in communication, it's just the pulse between us. That's what it is. It's creation itself. It's that energetic tie or bind or opening or invitation between us. So there's creation air energy, which is core. I call myself a core story specialist. So there's core. And then above core is earth story. And uh, I'm really fascinated with Dr. Martin Shaw's work, which is all earth story. And, um, the, you know, listening to the earth, to the trees, and what's it, what, what is it saying? And so you can track it up, right? You've got core energy coming from the bottom up through the earth. Then you've got all the animals, all the creatures, the four-legged people, right, or four-legged beings. Then you've got what, the walkers of the world, which I would say that the spiritual leaders of the world, right, the Jesus of the world, the, the um, Buddhas of the world, the Allahs of the world, that they, they were embodying that core energy that had come through the earth, and right? Then beyond, beyond them, we move into art, because art is so subjective, it's still so open. And then we move into religion, where it's just another trying to like, understand what is the narrative or the language of this core energy. And then we move into philosophy and science, and it just, it just keeps going higher and higher and higher, but it, it's all connected to this core source of energy. Mm. And so for me, what I suspect is that the ministry call is about that. It's just, it's the same work, but it's finding or maybe opening up a space that's become so constricted with all of our, well, and lots of good reason. I'm not even gonna get into that, but all the boxes, okay. <laughs> all, the, all the good reasons about why we don't like religion. Mm. Because how do, we, how do we honor, where is the space between when I'm stuck in a box. At the same time, we need, um, we live on a human plane. We have agreements that keep us safe, keep our hearts open, keep us in a place where I can connect with you and relate to you. And, but when we mess with it, when we start playing alpha with all of these agreements that we have, or, or in religion, all of, the, all of the stories about it, and thinking we own the stories. In fact, that's what I love about um, Martin, Dr. Martin Shaw. He says, you can't trap a story. You can only track them. And I think that's where religion has gone wrong. We're trying to trap this pulse, this communication, and we're trying to make it ours. Mm -hmm. We're trying to say, I know, and we don't. Nobody knows. The word that, that, that opened up the whole ministry thing in the first place, when I was like, well, I can't do this. I swear, like, I'm going to be the crazy God lady that they're like, you can't let this chick in here. And, but the word, I just kept following. And I ended up at VST in a discernment weekend, sitting with all these people who, who like knew that they, oh, I want to be a minister, and I've been in church forever. And I walk in, I'm going, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, but I'm following, and I ended up in a lecture, and in the theology lecture, um, the gentleman leading said, blah, 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 the mystery. And I just, I just burst into tears. And I was like, okay, I'm in. 
I, I don't know what I'm in for, but, but I'm in. Um, so yeah, that's why I think religion is like, phew, like I'm not in this for religion because if I have to be, uh, if I have to be exclusive, I'm out, man. Like I don't play that game. For me, you know, we, again, I'm happy to talk about religion, maybe mistakes that are made around it, and and the truth is, is I don't, I don't have a problem with religion, as such. I mean, yeah. when you institutionalize anything, do you know a guy named Clay Shirky? No. I don't even know if he's still teaching, but I think he was teaching at Columbia or Brown, one of the, one of kind of a major university in the United States. And he does this talk on institutions and self-organizing systems. Mm -hmm. And one of the points he makes that just completely rocked me when I heard it, I was like, that's really something. Which is, he said, we create institutions for a purpose. Mm -hmm. But the moment we create the institution, the purpose it was created for becomes secondary. Because right. now the institution has to survive. Right. That has to come first. And, and for me, when I think of religion, like I have goosebumps right now, um, when I think of religion, it's that it wants to kind of galvanize or concretize something that's alive. Mm. Like nothing mm. in this entire reality is static. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And then so to, to take something, and, and I do believe in ultimate truths. Yeah. I do believe in objective truth. And even though it's objective and ultimate, it's living, it's mm -hmm. moving, it's, it's not a static thing. And, and as human beings, that's not, that doesn't feel as secure as we want it to. Right. We want the truth to be something we can just reach out, put our hand on and say, I got it. Yeah. And, and that's not what truth is meant to do for us. It's meant to, um, well, I mean, it is what feeds the whole living movement of reality. Yeah. Is, yeah. The living movement of reality. Yeah. 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 The living movement of reality. Yeah. You're a mover. You hit the whole movement. Yeah. I love that. The, the, you know, because the other words I like to stay away from are words like unfolding, although there, it's true, right? Or uh, driving or whatever, because it implies, it implies that, that something can be unfolded and then it's done unfolding but it's not you know that's that space Un unless like as soon as you do you check out fractals do you know what fractals are have you seen them no i've heard the word yeah so but you should check out some of the 3d okay. renderings of fractals because oh. that's that's what a fractal is doing is when you zoom into a fractal you see the image changing and morphing and, and all of the information of every way you could see or move into or move out of the fractal yes. is already there in the original image. So the, the, oh. the, the finite image, is embedded in the finite image is the infinite reality of the fractal and right. that it can unfold endlessly. Right. And so that to me really resonates where the unfolding is not a start, like a beginning, middle and end yeah. full story. Yeah. It's that it, it, it is an ever unfolding yeah. reality of, of complexity and anyway. Okay. So back to truth mm. then. Okay. <laughs> Cause if I heard you right, the fractal piece, you're saying that the imprint of all that it is, is, is always there. It's there. So one would think that then therefore there is no more than that one thing that was always there. Right. Is that not truth? Right or God or, you know, whatever labels we want to put on it. But, yeah. but I think when we, something captivates us about 
fractal or, or like yeah. these types of images are compelling to us. Yeah. And I don't think that's random. Um, and, and lots of uh, stories and, and concepts touch us in ways. Like when that minister or that educator was said mystery, something about the meaning of what that really is, what that word yes. actually represents moved you. Yes. And you knew something about it. Intellectually, you couldn't tell anyone what that is, and maybe it's going to take shape over the time as you explore this. But, but you really knew something, and and what's also clear is that you knew that it had a depth, mm -hmm. it had a quality, and it had a value, mm -hmm. and, and not a, a human constructed value. There was something inherently meaningful and valuable about mm -hmm. whatever that was that touched you, yeah. And and that's everywhere. That that is woven into the whole fabric of, of reality. And the only way we miss it is if we pretend as though our first narrow glance at, at what's happening with our senses is the whole deal. Right. Right. That, that's when we miss. When we know there's more, and that, to me, that's why the mystery is so compelling. When we know, as soon as we know there's more than just this momentary snapshot that my very primitive senses are picking up right. is just a fraction of what's really there. Yes. Something different happens. Yeah. And I don't get to stand in my experience and say, I know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. Just like with religion and it's wanting to be static and, mm -hmm. and ever true in a, in a, in a kind of uh, frozen way. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe we all know that's not it. Mm -hmm. Even people that believe mm -hmm. in religion, I'm going to get in trouble now, but, but you know, like it, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for, for, for the truth and for what really holds and, and, and informs everything about life to be in some way stuck or trapped mm -hmm. in, in a static mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. It's why we gather. It's why we gather, whether we're gathering in church, whether we're gathering over a big Thanksgiving dinner, whether we're like wherever we're gathering, that's what that's about. Mm -hmm. It's that because the, the more people you cram into a room, like, whoa, the crazier stuff can get. But that's the beautiful thing. It's like it's now, it's, it's out. It's out of our hands. We gather because we, we want to not know. I think we're, like, ultimately drawn to that. Like, you can be kind of morbid about it, but, like, that's why we, you know, traffic stops when there's an accident on the road. Everybody wants to see what's going on, but because they don't know. They're like, what was that? But isn't that two sides of the same coin? It's like wanting to not know and wanting to discover to yes. me like those two because there is something about the mm. i i know something i didn't know before there's something that's meaningful about that or i'm able to do something i couldn't do before yeah it's like like why does a baby know to stand and walk and speak you know without anyone trying to get them to do that they yeah. will they will, they do, will that. do that and the resources required with no physical ability yes. to go from no physical ability to do that to standing and walking yeah. takes an incredible amount of commitment to what looks like commitment yeah but it's not the baby just knows this is what i'm here for yeah so i see it similarly to when we get into a, an adult world where there's work and there's creativity and there's art and there's family and social and it's you know all of these vehicles or, or arenas doesn't matter that much which one we choose, mm -hmm. but but they each afford us an opportunity to to become something that we're not yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say like the baby who 
just decides or doesn't decide. It, like it decides the baby. It's a movement of being. Right? It's a movement of, of being. I think we feel compelled mm. beyond our understanding to follow things, impulses, even before an impulse hits. Like to me, that's the most fascinating. To to be in motion before the impulse hits. Not even like, whoa, like I'm I'm already in a hug and now the impulse is here, but I'm already in motion. Mm. I think that happens out there. Like when I say out there, I'm pointing out the window, right? Like we migrate to places, we're not even sure why, but we're moving that direction. And you know, I don't want to get into coincidence, mm -hmm. but if I had to describe coincidence, that's what that is. So I want to hear more about that. So okay. what I hear you saying is that there's, there's sort of an experiential impulse mm -hmm. and there's something that, that is calling us or guiding us or pulling us that precedes that, that more tangible, visceral experience of, oh, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And so what is that? Well, I have, it's a mystery. I have no idea <laughs> what it is. Oh, come on. Right? But I would say, so I think, my, I believe that we're all called. I'm not talking about like, woo, come to Jesus called, maybe, but probably not for everybody. I mean called, like we're here. There's lots of places we could be, but we're here. And just like that baby who innately, innately moves, that's that call. Mm -hmm. I think about when I met you and I was at, you know, we were at that, we were at an event and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, my day's so full and what am I doing here? And it was raining and, blah, 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 and you know, and there, things were resonating with me that day, but you know, I wasn't, wasn't having a spectacularly deep day. And then you got up and in seconds, in seconds, I was, I, I, I saw my head tilt and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> and I had no idea. I had no idea what, there were moments I had no idea what you were saying and it didn't matter because I wasn't in the space of my cognitive following. I wasn't in the space of my visceral following. I was in a different space. It's like, to me, it's like, well, duh, of course we're having this conversation about the space in between because I was in the space in between with you. I was in the communication for change. I was right in it. I, I, when, I, when I work with clients, sometimes I, I call it, um, every now and then I'll look at them and I'll go, oh my God, you let me in the room. You let me in your room. And, and it's that, I think we're compelled. Well, I feel compelled. I think we're all compelled. That's that call to get into the room with people. But it's not something that we're, we have a muscle for. I, I do think it's innate. I don't disagree. And, and then you look at the world and it's clear not everyone is listening. Yeah. And, and so that's an interesting question is if that's true, if there is an innate call mm -hmm. and if, it, if it's what we're really here for, in other words, it's worth our whole life to yeah. listen and, and respond to that call, why, why it seems so few are really listening. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a question I'm, I'm, I have been and I continue to, to be in because whatever it is humanity is here for, we're not there yet. You know, some people are, are really on a, a path that, that is all about that. And many are completely unaware of that, or, or at least um, they would need to set life down as it currently is mm -hmm. to start to really hear it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's the piece mm-hmm. that I think is, is the main stumbling block or the main gap, which is we've invested in, in something. We've invested in many things. And those investments land in us in a conditioned way. In other words, mm-hmm. even if I have, I've been holding and, and, and navigating life in a way where it's, it's not totally authentic and responsive to that call, and then I wake up and I go, oh, okay, that doesn't mean that the last 30 years of investment just evaporate. Mm-hmm. Now I have a nervous system that has, that has yeah. developed in a way that is insensitive to the call. Yes. And so now it's like I got to make my way through the muck and mud and darkness. And it's not fun. And mm-hmm. it's not easy. And, mm-hmm. and in a real way, it costs me my old life. I was just reading a quote that I don't remember mm-hmm. who said it, but, but your new life will cost you your old one. Indeed, and it does. There's no other way. And so then there it is. Are we, whoever we are, whether we're political or not political, whether we're environmentalist or not, whether we on this side of the political spectrum or that, you know, whatever color skin, all of that aside, whatever we're holding to of the past, whatever we insist must be mm-hmm. of the past, prevents us from actually listening to the present. We're afraid that if we let that go, that what's left isn't enough or isn't mm-hmm. good enough or isn't safe enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the only thing that really gets us there, that that's not about circumstance, is if we trust that when everything is taken away, what's still there is goodness. And, and I think that's a, a value. And this is something I would actually say, not always, but, but of people that I've met that are really embedded in sort of Christian, the spirit of Christianity mm-hmm. is that that's there. Mm-hmm. There is a sense in them that, that underneath it all mm-hmm. is a fundamental goodness mm-hmm. in, 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 in the universe, in reality, in, in the world we live in, but also in people, that, that under it all it's good. Mm-hmm. And, and that allows us to let go of our hold um, mm-hmm. and, and feel more clear that that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that's a big ask. It is. Can I tell you a really silly story? Please. And it's part of my old life. Um, and I, I really think um, that it's, it's how I got here. It was like the first thing that happened that led to this whole ministry thing. So seven years ago, I'm like a big dog in a sales company, like big dog, like top 20 in Canada, making buckets of money. And I've got this massive business. And um, it was in a network marketing business. And I had this little um, team growing in uh, Chilliwack. And I had never met them because I had this big organization. So it was actually through a, a different leader. But I, could, I was, could see all the sales stats. And I've got this, like, this little, it's almost like lights on a board, like lights popping up. Wow, something's going on in Chilliwack. What's going on in Chilliwack? So I thought, well, I better go down and meet these people. And you know, they're in my business. Da, 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 what, what do they need, et cetera? So I go down and meet them. Lovely human beings, lovely, right? Doors open, happy people, lovely, lovely, lovely. And I say to them, what is it with you guys? Like, what is it about month end? Because month end in sales is always like dialing for dollars or whatever, right? You're trying to hit your quota or whatever, earn the thing. Like, what is it with you guys? How come month end doesn't freak you out? And they said, oh, we're Christian. We just give it over to God. And I was like, what? Yeah, well, you know, we just give it over. We don't try to own it. And I remember, I, again, if, even if we just take 
you know, faith out of it, or not faith, but religion out of it. It could have been any faith. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It was that space of the goodness of giving it over. So in this, it's, there's so many parts of that. There is the goodness piece. You know, you have to believe in goodness in order to surrender, or maybe you don't. You could be open to doom and gloom when you surrender, potentially, but I don't think that's where they were at. So there's the goodness piece, but then there's, there's also this like spaciousness of the not knowing, like giving, like giving it over says, I don't know, and yet here I am. And in the space of I don't know, what will be happens. And it's not like the whole world isn't talking about just being and all of that stuff, but it's, it's not an intellectual thing. Mm -hmm. You can feel it when you're in it, right? And so, and there I was talking to these three women and all I could think of was, God, I haven't been to church since I was like nine. I don't think I'm ever going back. And track it seven years later, that little speck, that little like tiny little moment in my life shifted everything. Mm. And did, you, tr you attribute this path right now to that? That was the beginning. Yeah, that was amazing. That was the beginning. For sure. And it, it, it is, it, it feels so much as you tell that, that it's a weaving of a story and it, it is a fabric. Yeah. And that was like the starting of the thread. It's like yeah. the first thread. Yeah. And, and much has happened and in a way everything is connected. Nothing is separate from that. And um, one of the things that you, as you were sharing about the, the lack of stress in them at the end of the month, and, and I think that's, it, it's, such a good lesson and, and something to take whether you are religious or not, mm -hmm. whether you believe in God or not is, is actually not relevant because um, I remember in school, my schooling was coaching sciences, so like kinesiology and coaching sciences, uh, performance, and at one point the instructor told us about a research study that essentially said that athletes that believe in God or some kind of higher power consistently outperform athletes that don't. And, and that was like, Wow. And I don't believe that God is there going, oh, you believe in me. I'm going to help you with, like, score yeah, the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, golden 12. But, but there's something. Yeah. There's yeah. something that mm -hmm. that kind of relinquishing of trying to control it all, mm -hmm. which we're not meant to do, which we're not equipped to do, mm -hmm. and giving over the control of what really does hold and have everything. Mm -hmm. And, and that that helps us relax into what we are here to be and do. Mm -hmm. And le leaves us with a, a sense of not needing to do anything that isn't that. Mm -hmm. so, and, and I think when we don't believe in something bigger than ourselves, that's the, the consequence or the symptom is that we feel like we have to do it all. Mm -hmm. And we put an undue stress on ourselves. It, the analogy I, I use sometimes is in high school, um, for some reason, I had lots of heavy books in my bag. I didn't do a lot of homework, but, but I did carry the books. And, um, and I would usually throw my bag over my right shoulder. And, and I didn't put the left shoulder on because it's just a lot of work and you know, your sweater gets stuck in it. And it's like, so anyway, just out of laziness mostly, I would throw it. And then each year, that backpack, that, that, that sort of strap of the backpack would tear, the right. seam would go and throw it out and get a new one. And at some point, I don't remember what it was, I think it was in my 20s, I was doing some work with kids, and I realized 
I was, I was stressing that backpack in a way it wasn't built for. Mm -hmm. And that if, if I just put it on the way it was designed, I, it's not that one backpack would then be two years because I added a strap. Yeah. It would last six or seven or eight years because the stress on that backpack is how it was built to receive that. And human beings, mm -hmm. we do this thing to ourselves where oh. we put stress that doesn't belong. It's not ours. And then we break down. Yes. So that, that one, like, again, it just resonates. And, and um, th to discover, oh, I don't have to struggle this way. Mm -hmm. it, it's such a powerful discovery, especially mm -hmm. if we're willing to follow through on it. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious for you, mm -hmm. is, there a, is there a place where... Um, things weren't clear, your way <laughs> forward wasn't clear and it was hard and then you, you found, you figured it out or like, uh, you know, a good friend of mine said to me a long time ago that nobody gets to middle age, like middle age is like the great equalizer. <laughs> nobody gets to middle age without like some monstrous collapse where you realize, what am I doing? This is not working. Um, yeah, I had, it was, well, it was in that career, right? Because, um, and I think even that that career I was in, you know, aside from that beautiful moment with those people, um, the career that I was in, I was in this like, uh, like I'm an artist. Like I came into the world an entertainer. I like music is my thing, singing, performing, and any uh, any exquisite moment in performance doesn't happen when you're full voice and standing in your right light or in front of a full house. Like an exquisite moment is when there's an exchange between the performer and the audience. And I got that. So like authenticity or connection was like, it was in my fiber of my body. I knew what it felt like. And so here I am doing so well in sales because I have an entertainment background. I'm good with people. I'm, I'm, you know, throw me in front of a crowd of people. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And I remember hitting a place where I, I hired a coach and I said, I can't do this anymore because I am living on my charisma. Like the, 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 the blood in my veins has become charisma. I was basically using that authenticity to make money. And it's not about the money part. To work a business or have a career that isn't really mine. I could feel that too. It was like walking around with a cup that was half full. You know, it's a cup half full or half empty. It's still half. Whether it's full or empty, it doesn't matter. It's half. I was half. And I, and, and I had all the trappings, right? Like I had the... The money was there. I had, I had, and all the things that go into a sales career about, you know, um, what is it? All these things, which I've kind of just left out of my brain now. You got to give up to go up. You know, you got to give up all these things to move up and all this stuff. And I, it was, it was there was so much positive reinforcement in this group. And I had self-esteem, but I was walking around like I was missing a leg. And I could feel the dissonance of I'm inauthentically authentic. And that was the beginning. And I, I'm, I'm unfortunately or fortunately, I'm wired that way where I couldn't not see it once I saw it. Mm -hmm. And it's like the princess and the pea. It's like there's a pea under 
20 mattresses and I don't, it doesn't matter what bedding I put on that damn bed, there's still a pee in my bed. And I couldn't get comfortable. And then as luck would have it or not, this is like how it works, right? As soon as I started to rumble about that little pee in my bed, um, I ended up having a leadership uh, breakdown with on my team and the, the women who were mentoring me and it, it just never got put back together. And uh, I'm a bit like that and I'm being, I'm being very kind in this moment. I could really not be, but I'm being very kind in this moment. It and got messy. It got messy, yeah. but it got, and it got messy fast. And it was, it was, and I'm like that. Like when things get messy fast, I'm just out. Mm. I just drop. And I, I part of me, part of me is, is like my 14 year old teenager that just goes, screw this. I'm not doing it anymore. And part of me is also that I actually can't do this anymore because I don't have a, I don't have a plug to plug into anymore. This isn't making sense. There's no place I can plug this in where I can, my power's just gone out. Well, I wonder if, if that hadn't, if that leadership breakdown hadn't happened, my sense is you wouldn't be there much longer anyway. No. What do you think would have, you just would have walked away? Like, what do you think was your trajectory before that kind of you know, external force? I wish I could say that I was brave enough. Um, I wish I could say that I believed in myself and that pulse enough at that time to have walked away quickly. Because even though that leadership thing happened, I, uh, conscious, I consciously said I'm out in my brain and I was way too scared to stop it and start something new right away. What I ended up doing was kind of half doing it while I did something else. I, I tried to manipulate the story and make it into something. I know, I'll just like package it up in this way and I'll still be able to do it just halfway. And um, I, it's kind of like I bled out slowly. And, um, and I, looking back, and I wouldn't change a thing, but knowing what I know now, that's not what happens for me now. When I get that in my stomach, that this is wrong, it's act fast because bleeding out is painful. <laughs> and what ended up happening, I think, and you know, I'm not sure what I believe about this yet, but I do recognize that if you don't get it, the universe kind of turns up the heat, you know, whether that's a thing or whatever, I just recognize that happened. Mm. So shortly after that, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then after that, my marriage collapsed. And so boom, 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 it's like all the pillars of my life came down. And, um, and it was all part of that movement of recognize. Well, I actually think the cancer piece was my body um, was holding all of the stuff I wasn't letting go of. Mm. And that was the only way it was gonna release through my body, was through a tumor. Um, so, so I wish I could say I had moved fast, I didn't, but I think should something like that happen again, I would move faster. Mm. Um, and now, uh, when I'm, whether in my life or working with clients or whatever, I say to myself, like, I don't, the only thing I trust is story. I don't trust me, I don't trust you, right? I trust, I only thing I trust is this thing I can't actually put my hands on. Mm -hmm but I know what it feels like. And if I can't feel it, 
then I'm probably not. I'm probably out, and I got to spend some time listening because, yeah, don't listening to me is probably not a good idea. I listen to that, whatever that space is. Um, the only other piece I want to say about that, because I think it's irresponsible of me to not share what I did do then. And I ended up um, coming up with this image in my head about stones in the garden. And I would just stand on the only stone that made sense. So it was like I, I was in this space. I'm like, well, what do I do? And I went back to where in my life did I feel the most alive or bigger than myself, like energetically bigger than my body? Where did I have that? What was I doing? Okay, what do I feel full in and um, clear in and simple in? And a friend of mine said to me uh, in that space, he said, lean into what's peaceful. And so I would look, I would look, what could I do? Is it peaceful? Do I feel peace in my body? Yes, I do. Am I full? Yes, I am. Am I, you know, am I alive? Yes, I am. So I ended up going back to kind of a little bit of workshop and a little bit of performance and, and personal growth. And I created this workshop called Live Your Best Story, which was the first stone in the garden. And I was like, ah, oh, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yay, I'm going to lead this workshop. And then I'm standing on this stone. And I'm like, no, it's not this, but it's the first stone. Mm -hmm. And then that led to the next thing. And every time, I think this is the important piece, every time I'd be like, I'm on it. I got the stone. I got the stone. I got I'm on the last stone in the garden. You're like, no, you're not. And then another piece would arrive. And I think that, like, that's that thing that you're talking about, about the, the living movement, that living movement of truth. It, it is this beautiful evolution. And, uh, and, but we kind of got to own, we're not kind of, we got to own fully the moment in order to see the next one. So that's how core story work evolved, was out of that place of going, this is not who I am, so where, where am I? And following that. And I see a big piece in there about a willingness to step into what isn't a sure thing. To, right, it, oh boy. It will, it will fail. Oh boy. And, yeah. and it needs to, for, yeah. for the next stone to appear, you need mm -hmm. to be in all mm -hmm. of the mistakes involved in mm -hmm. being in the newness of the next edge for you. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, the there's a spaghetti challenge that they do these like team building things where you have tape and uh, marshmallows and and spaghetti like long pieces of spaghetti and then you know you're in groups and you got to figure out how to build the tallest spaghetti, spaghetti structure. Right. And children regularly outperform adults in this particular uh, challenge. And the reason is, is that adults plan. Right. They plan it all out, and then they try it, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, they run out of time. And the kids, oh, as right, right, soon right. as they sit down with the stuff, they start doing it. Mm. They build it, no, that doesn't work, okay, that, no, no, that doesn't work, okay, that. And like, as they iterate, mm -hmm. as they iterate their attempts, they're learning, they're growing, they're not afraid that it's gonna fall down. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that example for us in, in basically every aspect of our lives would be a powerful shift for yeah. us to just realize that it, it's always iterating. Yeah. And there is no final destination or parking spot to kind of stick mm -hmm. our flag in the ground and go, I did it. Mm -hmm. Although we get to 
thresholds and we mm-hmm. get to places where the world goes, wow, you really did it there. It might be a medal at something or some kind of award, but but those are arbitrary and not that important. Mm-hmm. And, and I think way too much attention goes to how did my effort here get recognized externally? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, a, that's a slippery slope. But, but what does it mean to, to just treat life as an ever unfolding mm-hmm. <laughs> iteration? Like this mm-hmm. is my current effort. This is right. my current offering. It's my fir- current uh, telling of the story. Mm-hmm. And I know that as I do it, I will be more because of it. Mm-hmm. So true. Um, do you know the Gordon Neufeld thing about emergent play? Oh, I love it. No, mm-hmm. Well, now I've just said it in the mic, so I'm going to say it just real quick. I love it. I use it everywhere. It's that thing, right? When a kid's playing piano, and in their zone, and then mom or dad or whoever, uncle, aunt, whatever says, oh my gosh, you're so good. What a great piano player you are. All of a sudden, the bubble of emergent play is gone because there's an audience and that whatever was welling up inside that child now has someone looking and they're aware of it and emergence goes away. Uh, some of my, my, um, when I think about who I was as a child and who was very much alive in me, I have this one visual, I have two. Uh, one of them though is literally like skipping down Fraser Street in Vancouver between 55th and 65th. I have no idea why, but I remember I can still like feel the heat on my body and my, I can hear the sound of my feet on the ground. And I must have been, I must have been somewhere, but that was emergence for me. And I have another one of um, like dancing in the front of my house on my um, front steps, like ridiculous, like ridiculously beautiful, right? I'm eight years old and I can, and that freedom is emergence for me. And that's kind of a, I use that as a navigation sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not peaceful, but that's what a, what that emergent aliveness feels like for me. Yeah, and I think about, as I worked in sport a lot, and so this idea of flow was, was a really big piece. Um, sports psychology, the, the, mm-hmm. how do you get your athletes into a flow state? Mm-hmm. Because they will never perform better than when they're in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that's a form of, of kind of domain-specific mastery of mm-hmm. emergent play because it is a joyful experience oh, like in, in a sport context. Mm. When you're in flow, you're not trying to do anything. You're not trying to win. You're not trying to score. You're not trying to be or do anything. It, it actually is happening through you. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly joyful and, and time and space mm. change. There's, they're different. And, and so that's, that's out of a, a level of development on that particular level of skill ability that then meets the emergent play. So right. they kind of coalesce. Oh. But, but we don't, I think the mistake we make, and, and I would say that as someone who played a lot of sport and coached a lot of sport, is I've realized we don't need the mastery mm. to be in that flow. Right. And they, they actually talk about it, like the chart of flow is how difficult is the thing you're doing and what is your ability to do it. And that there's a kind of an, like a, a, a linear relationship that, but that's different. That, that, that chart is too two-dimensional mm-hmm. because the flow state isn't just about being proficient or being able to do something easily. It's a, it's a totally different phenomenon than that, although it might include that, mm. that relationship that yes, I'm able to execute or do right. the level of difficulty of the thing I'm doing. Great. 
but, but the emergent play aspect or that, that real state of flow is something about like the part of the brain that is self-referencing, that yes. is self-judgmental, is the one that takes us out yes. of that state of, yes. of mind. Like state the of, audience. Of, yes. Our own audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that can be represented by someone else saying, wow, great yes. job. But we internalize that. Mm -hmm. and, and so the way that we can begin to have more of that kind of flow in our lives is, is to l release our hold of control uh, our expectation of it being this way or that way, our preference of how it goes or how it turns out. Yeah. Those are the doorways to, to life becoming this, this playful, uh, emergent, in-flow way of being and living. Yeah. And yeah, it, in a certain way, it's our highest state of being. Right. It, it, it's, it's when right. we're most intelligent, it's when we're most creative, it's when we're most responsive, it's when we're most resilient. And it's probably when, we're the, when we show up the most, where we're in our full instrument. That's mm. right. mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm curious, because I'm a, I'm a communication junkie, right? Mm. I'm a word nerd, I'm all about impact. I'm curious, in your in this conversation for change or communication for conversation for change. Um, do you think, uh -huh, where are you going with, with communication? That's like, is that, is that, are we, yeah. is that what it's about? Like it's showing up in that f flow state in communication. Yeah. I would say it is about the, the, the integrated embodied human being that's able to communicate on all of the levels that communication can occur. Okay. Including being connected to the source of communication. Yes. And, and I feel like that's a piece that is, is rarely mastered and integrated on all levels. Mm -hmm. Very rarely. And so what, what I, a critique I would have is that if we look at communication as a mechanistic happening, yeah. then we'll learn skills of communication and we'll miss so much of the nuance and, mm -hmm. and intangible aspects of what being a human is and what the interpersonal interactions are really about. Yeah. And we can also get mm -hmm. lost on the other side. If we're all just about openness and being, and we don't engage our, our mm -hmm. capacity to develop mm -hmm. on the practical levels of communication, we're mm -hmm. also missing something. Yeah. And so for me, I wouldn't say there's an end game, but when I look at my recognition of what I know is possible for us as human beings. Yeah. And I look at where we're at, we're on a trajectory, but there's so, we're scratching the surface, just barely scratching the surface of what is really there and what's really possible. Mm -hmm. And so my interest is how do we, how do we tap into all of that? How do we begin to uh, develop and embody this way of being and way of moving and way of expressing, way of receiving expression <clears throat> that in itself is the, the catalyst and the accelerator of evolution. Ha, huh. got it. The catalyst and the accelerator of evolution. Right, right. Like we're sitting on a rocket ship and no one's, no one's flicked the switch. We're actually on it. Um, th there's a word that's like still sitting with me that you said, a few seconds ago, I was like, I keep hearing it. And it was the word domain. There was something about that, because to me, it, it tracks back to all the different things that we've talked about so far. Um, and when I think about the athlete, right, and you, 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 had, you had two 
you had two lines, right? You had flow and then you had mastery. Well, it, it's, it's the difficulty of the task, difficulty. your ability to do the task and those things right. are, it's kind of like a one-to-one -one relationship. Yeah. We need to be in this zone yeah. in which our capacity to perform meets the challenge that's there to be performed. Right. And so what I heard and what kind of popped for me was as an athlete, we're in the domain of sport, right? And and when I go back to religion, it's not really about religion. It could be, maybe, but church would be the domain, right, of that, of that connection. Sport would be the domain of that connection. And this, we're talking about now, communication is the domain of, of that same connection. So that's wicked mm. because that, if I'm hearing you right, that's that embodiment piece that you're really passionate about, right? of our own human potential and this and the uh i want I, i'm getting a visual of it more than anything but it's like you and i sitting here we're having a verbal communication we're having an energetic communication and we're having probably a physical communication even though we're not touching each other and in am i getting you right that the, the rocket fuel comes from probably all the other connections in in this communication domain that I'm not even aware of right now. Yeah, it, it's like in your body right now, cells are doing their thing. Yeah. That's all happening. You, you have no conscious sense of it. Or if you do, it's something ultra subtle. Yeah. It's, you've developed some ultra subtle capacity to be in tune with the cellular functioning in your body. You know, things like Qigong, there's the practices where right. we develop this sense of, yes. of what's actually occurring in the viscera, in the, in the organs of my body, in the fluids of my body. Uh, we can develop it. The easy way to know, like some people think that's woo-woo, and, and maybe some people are making stuff up about it, but I'm aware of things today that I was completely blind to 10 years ago. Mm. That, that awareness developed over time. Mm -hmm. So we can develop... Uh, sensitivities and awareness that that would seem like magic to us right now if we stay with it but but currently it, it's it's not that interesting to us I had the conversation with someone recently about mastery and I often use the context of sport because I have so much experience in it but when you have someone who becomes just so much better than everyone else what people who aren't maybe educated in sport would think is like they're like the, the flashy things they do. They 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 slam dunk the ball. They take the hard slap shot. They they you know slam the overhead serve, and they are doing all those things. But that's not why they're the best. That's like the highest iteration, the highest um, emergent property of why they're the best. Why they're the best is because they do the fundamental things better than anyone else. They have come to things that appear to first have nothing to do with their sport even. And they do them in a way that is so efficient and so precise and so adaptive. And then from that, like they're obsessive, these athletes. They, they do the fundamentals in their sleep. Like some of them literally are dreaming about the drills they do. They wake up and they immediately grab the ball or the racket or the like. They live with it, and and that so then it's it's like breathing for them. These things that are the foundation for all of the more complex ways of expressing in that sport. They're doing them in a way that is a deep level of mastery, 
and the, the skill side of communication is no different. There are some fundamental uh, awarenesses, sensitivities, capacities, abilities that first look like they have nothing to do with communication. Mm -hmm. And if we ignore them, we're missing most of the story. And so like an example mm -hmm. I, would, I would say is, um, one of the exercises I do in a workshop is uh, something I call uh, inclusive or multi-directional awareness. Mm -hmm. So can I be aware of what's going on in my body without going away in any way from what's occurring outside of my body? and in particular in relationship to someone else. So I'm with you, and simultaneously while I'm with you, I'm with in here, in me. And, and at first it's like trying to, you know, pat your stomach and rub your head, or rub your stomach and pat your head, I don't remember which one it is. It feels weird and di difficult even, and we'll notice that we're much better at one than the other. We might much more easily mm -hmm. go inside and be with what's happening inside, mm -hmm. but being with another is challenging, or vice versa. But to do both in a way that's, that's d wide open and balanced, someone who, who maybe doesn't know a lot about communication and how it really works mm -hmm. might look at that exercise and go, what are we doing? Right. This has nothing to do with communication. Right. And I would say, you actually aren't communicating unless you're doing this. Yes. So, so that's like just one of many examples where we, we miss the boat because we're so occupied with looking on the surface, using our projections and preconceptions about what's what to make decisions about whether it's working or not, whether it's valuable or not, whether I'm communicating well or not. And we miss like these levels upon levels of deeper, subtler aspects of of what we're really being and doing and what communication is happening and, and what the, the manifestations of that communication are. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, I, I don't expect people to kind of get all that all, all at once. Right. But yeah. I, I was having a conversation with someone recently and they were getting into a kind of facilitation and training and they'd come to some of my workshops and they were wanting to sit down with me and kind of pick my brain. And he had some ideas and, and I thought they were good ideas and what I was often doing with the ideas he was bringing, I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But if you, if you go to a level deeper than that, what you're doing there um, ceases to be the whole story. Mm. And it's actually a, 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 a narrow framing of what you're doing that, uh, that misses important pieces. And, and then what I said to him, and I actually hadn't really thought about this much before this, but I said to him, it's not even necessary that the people you're doing the workshop know that mm. deeper level. Mm. But if you're teaching it, you do. Mm -hmm. So whatever level we're teaching on, we better know at least the level mm. below that and hopefully mm -hmm. many levels below that. Otherwise, we don't really know what we're doing with people. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a, a really interesting realization that, that I took home and was like, ooh, wow, I, I want to internalize that one. I want to start carrying that one. Like, what? Because I'm always like, what? Yeah, okay, yeah, but what else? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, but why? Mm -hmm. And dig and dig and unlay unlayer and unlayer. And there's, there's no finish to that. There's, there's mm -hmm. always more mm -hmm. to open and discover. Mm -hmm. mm. So, I, so I have a couple things going on. I, I just, one, I'm really sitting with the, um, the word presencing keeps popping into my head about 
the, the digging and the digging and the digging, and I just got this like this visual of earth, right? And um, like it would be like it's like the difference between communicating with someone on a stage, unaware that the stage is sitting on a mound of earth, and that there are layers of earth within that earth, and it goes all the way to the core, of, you know, of the planet. And someone who stands on a stage and says yes, and and I'm absolutely listening to or aware of or present with all the layers of the earth beneath me. Just love that image. I'm so stealing that. I'm so, so beautiful. Wow. Um, and then the other piece that was, I kept like, I had that like childlike energy. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. One of the, one of the things I love about your work, Dolphin, is, um, uh, is that when I go to your workshop, it could be very easy for me to just fall in love with looking in somebody's eyes, right? Like, like just, just going into the presence place and just, you know, nestling in there. But that's ultimately not what it's about. What I love about your work is that it's, it's about what, you're, what you said about rocket fuel, like we're sitting on a rocket ship and we haven't, oh, I said that, but I, mean, I haven't turned the, the switch on. It's like, when we have that presence, when, I'm, when we have that access to that, where does it, where can it take us? Not that it has to, because you know, it doesn't have to. And there are those unbelievably gorgeous moments of just being in, right, those layers. But when we gather it with us, and move with it, wow. That, and I just so appreciate that about your work because uh, it, it, um, it is the integrative place. It's not about we're either connected or disconnected. You know, we're in our head or we're in our body or we're in our head or our body or our spirit. It's like, nah, how do we be in this body and move? I, yeah, and I, very few people are having, um, in my, it's certainly in my circle. I have lots of people having this conversation, but it's, I don't have a lot of people around me that are in the practicality of it. Mm. Like the, the joke that I say is, hey, I know this table in front of me is really just vibrating matter, but I have to put my glass on it. Like I live, we live on a planet and this is a table, right? And it's like the practicality of, I'm putting my glass on this table, right? The practicality of in the space, we are presenced and we are having a conversation and not just a conversation to like enjoy each other's brain, but to actually go somewhere. Ah, mm. I just, I just want you to know how much I appreciate the work that you do and that I get to get on your magic carpet ride every now and then and do it. Cause it's, it's, I, it's important. Mm. It's, I really, really think it's important for, um, Think of it like an elastic band, like where the earth is right now. Not the earth. The earth is going to be fine. It might change. It is changing. But the earth, whatever, man, it's got wisdom. But where we are, in fact, I'm going to sidebar a little bit. I remember being in a therapy session um, once, and the therapist looked at me and um, said about my partner at that time, she's like, he can't do another cycle of this. And I got it. And it's like where we are in, 
in our thinking and our living, it's like an elastic band. We can't do another cycle of this. We've pulled this elastic band. And if we let go, man, it's snapping. And I love to think that in this consciousness that we're all talking about, that we can actually evolve. We can. We can step forward without having to say, yeah, back to the point a little bit in the beginning of, we don't have to give up our old life, but we have to surrender it and allow the wisdom of it to be there. And as we move forward, kind of, it's not like carrying our baggage with us. It's just like letting that wisdom, or I would call story, like live with us as, and oh no, I love this. I'm going back to that picture of yours of, what do you call it? Fractals? Yeah. Right? Where it's already all complete. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Because if, if, I mean, if we don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If we don't, we'll just do another cycle. Or, I mean, who knows? Yeah. We, we don't know. I think I had this, sometimes the really obvious stuff is quite profound, actually. And I had this thought, it's like, everything works until it doesn't. Mm. And everything doesn't work until it does. Mm. So, you know, just because we've always been here, you know, mm. since, since the beginning of, of mm. humanity, just because we've always been here doesn't mean we're always going to be here. Mm -hmm. We don't know that. Yeah. Um, in fact, we know, well, at least physics tells us, for sure at some point we won't be here. Yeah. And, and so that, that begs an interesting question. Like, so then what? If we know that ultimately it's all going away, what's the meaning of being here? <laughs> and and, and what's, the, what's the real opportunity that's here? I'm not a nihilist, hmm. but I also believe there's, there's just so much false meaning that's been created in human society. Um, and, and what happens when we strip away all the false meaning and we're just willing to have what really is there be enough. Mm. And it reminds me just the example about the cup on the table. It's like, I don't need to get into all sorts of philosophical conceptual stuff about the fact that it's atoms bouncing around and that the atoms are mostly not atoms and that even the stuff that's mostly not anything that makes up the atom is actually just vibrating energy. Like, I, I believe it. Mm -hmm. It's very, it, you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's suggesting that, that that's like all the, all the mathematics and the physics, that that's it, that's what's happening. But I don't need to conceptualize that. Mm -hmm. It's more that the magic of life, my ability to perceive more, to, to be in the fullness of my kind of perpetually unfolding potential is to not hold to anything that was. Mm. So that instead of, I can even know that it's a table. I know that, that we call this thing a table. But if I hold that so gently mm. that I don't make that mean anything it doesn't actually mean, that's, then I'm in. Then I'm in mm. life, I'm with life, I'm of life in a way that is entirely inclusive and not separate. And, and if we've had the opportunity to meet human beings that live that way, we have been blessed because in them we know what we're here for. And, mm. and that's, 
That's a special opportunity. Can you say that again? In them, we know what we're here for. What does that mean? Like, I'm just, like I, I get a sense it, that you know exactly what it means. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to see it. Well, I would describe it in the context of how we relate to one another. So in the interpersonal oh. space, <clears throat> well, this isn't the, the, the fullness of it, but I think this will make sense for some people, which is we know that, that we become like the people we spend time with. Uh -huh. right? So we have these mirror neurons, and not just the mirror neurons, like our system is not some siloed, this piece functions separately from that piece. So the mirror neurons activate when we're with someone, and, and they allow us to essentially assimilate them. We absorb one another. Hmm. And, and so on an interpersonal level, we're built for that. Right. We're built to become one another, in, in not as a concept, but actually wow. become one another. And, and in a way that is, is alive and that is evolutionary, it, it, my embodiment is meant to inspire and invite and, and pull along your embodiment. Wow. And, and so when we meet someone who embodies because they've chosen to live that way, mm. they are vibrating with, moving by, speaking from, and, and speaking of what that really is. Mm. And and it transcends our ideas about things. It's not a good idea. It's not my thoughts and feelings about enlightenment. Mm. It's, it's the, the embodied truth of what that is, and it is what we're here for. Mm. I love it when I hear things I've never thought of before. And that idea of like we become the people we hang out the most with. And that idea of we're all becoming one, it sounds like, but you know, like is, is the only time that's, that saying's actually ever made sense mm -hmm. to me. And it does make sense from a nervous system perspective. Like you gotta ask, why do we have the nervous systems we have if we're all jacked up in anxiety, right? Why? Why do we have? And I and and what you've just offered really gives me something to think about. Because we're responsive. And we're built to be responsive. And might that be the reason that we are to move in to each other? Wow. That's a really beautiful thought. I love that. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the, the interesting thing for me is that we're all doing it. We can't help but do it. As, as much right. as we want to build against it because mm -hmm. of trauma, because of insecurity, because of fear, whatever it is, we're all doing it. And when we put nothing in the way, what the human body and nervous system and human society, like human community is meant for, now has the freedom of movement to begin expressing itself. Mm. And so we're, we're in this time where we, we've gotten to this level of evolution and awareness and, and sustainability of, of human life that there's a real opportunity now mm. for that to come into a fullness. And it is a different way of living. And mm. it is a, a, a way of being that is inclusive of everyone. Mm. And the only way for that to really work is for us to stop 
partitioning inside in ways that help us kind of manage and mitigate and control how life feels. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, like I said before, this is one of those things, it's not an easy ask. It, it's like, what would happen? The idea of privacy, I think, is an interesting one. Hmm. We, there's a lot of talk about privacy, and, and I mm -hmm. get it, and I'm not even saying that I don't disagree. I, I don't disagree, but privacy is a, a new human concept. Yeah. Like when did oh, privacy occur yep. in human yep. history? Takes a village privacy to raise a child, is, is but imaginary. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything yeah. except in this very recent human society, societal context. And so... Um, you know, I think we, we improperly believe we should have this private inner space and this mm -hmm. private public kind of space to move in. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean people should be able to, yes. you know, interfere with us and like mistreat us or do terrible things. Um, but, but this predisposition to thinking first I'm closed and separate mm -hmm. is just not true. Mm -hmm. it, it, when we're most authentic, when we're most at home in the present moment, that's not what's going on. Mm -hmm. In fact, when, so going back to like what I call, it's like when, I, when I'm in the room with you, right, when we're like in the room, privacy doesn't matter because it's so beyond anything we would ever want to protect. It's, it's way deeper and simpler and peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a thought I want to just throw in here. There was something you were saying earlier about um, that not knowing. And what popped into my head was, wow, that's like dying. Like that's death. Like the ultimate not knowing. It's actually the only thing that we'll ever face without, am I making this up? I am, but I'll try, I'm going to follow it. It's actually the only thing that we'll ever face that no one can say we did it right or did it wrong, or we can say we did it right or did it wrong, and it's going to happen. And what was kind of playing through my mind a little bit was um, what if in this place of living in the space, in the I don't know, it was actually a beautiful practice of death every day. Maybe it doesn't even have to go anywhere. My brain wanted to put it in a box and say, maybe dying won't be so scary then. And it probably wouldn't be, but it doesn't have to be about that. But it really is that, that stepping. I don't want to like turn this to what it's not, but in the essence of that ultimate surrender of not knowing, it doesn't have to be the end of your life. Yeah. But I think the... The end of your life is a, an interesting way to, to put yourself to an edge that really encompasses life. Mm -hmm. that, that, like, physical death for us really does that. And I think, I think there's value in that. Um, and there's those sayings, and a bunch of people have said it different ways, but you can't really live until you're, you're good with dying, until mm -hmm. you've really died to mine. Mm -hmm. This is my life. This is until we die to the, any sense that ownership is, is a rightful way to live life, um, you know, we're not really able to live. Mm -hmm. And um, I was having this thought about 
sport and and this is the beautiful thing this is the the aspect of life that that is always in our control and that is often missed because it doesn't first deliver us what we want but it's like for the athlete that that puts everything in win or winning or losing mm. it is the highest reason that they are playing they want the trophy they want the gold medal they want they want to win and then it, it is life or death they've created a context for sport where it's life or death and and i think there's some sense in the athlete and you know this is a metaphor so we can transfer it to life but there's some sense that without that they won't get there they won't be able to somewhere along the line the misconception was made that without fear and uh, tension and anxiety yes. i won't be able to i have to avoid the losing and i need my tension and anxiety to do that and what happens, this is just how I see it, what happens when we completely die mm. to needing anything mm. to happen or anything not to happen in mm. relation to winning or losing, we're free and then we see the more of life, right? Then I can actually see my family. I can see my personal well-being and my health. I can see my career after sport. I can, I can begin to relate to aspects of, of my life that are outside of this narrow sport context. And the same thing happens with life. When for me, it's not about me living hmm. or dying. When that's secondary. Even when it's not about me feeling good or feeling bad. I can see more. The, the context hmm. of life opens up. And it's not that I, I become reckless. Mm -hmm. It's actually that now I can fully live because I'm not putting any of my attention or resources onto the nonsense of trying to avoid something that is going to happen no matter what. Mm. It, it, it's it's probably the silliest thing human beings can do is to worry about death. Right. It's like, forget about that. You're here. Yeah. You have this opportunity and it's really something and everyone will pass. And and in a way, then we get to see that our life doesn't stop when we physically die. Mm. That, that, that when I'm in that context, I am in relationship with what is deeper than me, mm. what is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. That's all going to keep going. I won't feel it in the same way because I won't have a nervous system anymore, but, right. but I'm actually now living from a context that is well beyond my physical system. Yes. And, and that, that's freedom. Yes. And, and it also connects me to the meaning of being here. Not as a concept, not as an understanding, but like a direct connection to that meaning. Hmm. And it plays back to the fractal image that came up earlier that it's all complete in its evolving. As it's evolving, it's still complete. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the human mind can't get that. It can't yeah. reconcile the, the integrated nature of the finite and the infinite. Mm -hmm. And yet, when you really get into life, when you get into reality, there's no other way. Yeah. It, it actually can't be any other way. So, yeah, I mean, we're getting into some pretty interesting philosophical areas, but it, it's, it's lovely, and, I, and of course I enjoy it. And, and I'd like to bring it back to a little, a little bit more mm -hmm. corporeal space. Um, 
So part of the podcast is about me kind of collecting conversations yeah. for change. And so the, the question is for each of my guests at some point during the conversation is, what was a conversation you had that changed your life? And then I'm going to leave it to you to kind of, just, some people have told me terrible experiences they had. Some people have told me, um, you know, moments of realization that didn't involve a communication directly with someone. Someone has told me about, you know, just a, a chance passing and just momentary interaction. But so for you, if you were to look back at life, are there any conversations that stick out for you that you feel like, wow, through that conversation, I was changed? And, and, and then if we want to just pulling some, mm. some threads of like, what is it about those kinds of conversations that change us in that way? Um, I can think of three. Okay. I'm allowed to have one. Yeah, I'm allowed. Well, I can we'll have see, three, but, but I'll tell you one. one. Start with one. Okay. You have as many as um, you like. I think it would have to be when I, um, when I was on tilt, because I was the most aware of, of tilting. So this, I was, uh, I was in my car um, with my husband and three children, and we were going to the aquarium. And this was just pre all the pillars coming down. So my body was, in, I w my body was, was in a state of illness. I didn't know because I hadn't, didn't have a diagnosis yet. Um, and and I was on tilt. It's all, all I can, I, only way I can describe it. I was on tilt. And they well, they went to go get tickets for the aquarium or something. And I actually couldn't get out of the car. I was in the probably in the middle of a panic attack and didn't really know that that was going on. And um, and I reached for my phone. And um, I have a friend who lives in Australia who seems to always be like there when I need him. It's bizarre. And in fact, the word mystery, which would have been the second conversation, I won't tell you, um, came from him too. Uh, but I reached for my phone and I, everything was constricted in my body. And I picked it up and I said something like, I can't breathe and I can't get out of the car. And of course, he's, you know, 15 hours away and happens to be on Facebook and responds and he says, um, touch something to remind yourself you're here and lean into what's peaceful. And those two things changed everything because it, it gave me a compass point. Um, and in my own work now, I recognize that peaceful isn't the word for everybody. Some people, you know, it's play. Play is their word. But that was, that's my word. That's my word for coming home for me. And that's my word for being home with other people. That that's the beacon that I'm always moving towards. And uh, it has, a, I now know it has a quality, like peaceful, peacefulness for me has a quality that I can, that a resonance that I can feel. And I know, it's kind of like I know how far away from the fire I am and how close I am to the fire. Um, and it, yeah that it changed everything. And there's lots of pieces about that. It's not even the words. It's that, that he was there, as always, and, um, and that I can trust that, that there is something way bigger than I've got going on in this brain and body of mine. 
um, that connects me to others. I would say on some level, he and I are already like connected in a place that you know, it's not romantic, it's not like it doesn't fit any of the boxes that the world wants to put that kind of stuff in. And there it is. It's actually the unexplainable mm -hmm. and so clear and explainable. Can't even call him a best friend. It's not like it's like it's not even any of that stuff. And yeah, so peaceful is that conversation. Mm. And was there anything specific when, when he said lean into something peaceful? Was that more of a, a just a knowing surrender mm -hmm. to, or was there something that kind of um, you used or kind of thought of or could, you know related yeah, to in that? That's great. Um, I think I would have to say, and I've heard this word in a lot of other places lately, that what happened for me is that it's like remembrance happened. There was a timeless remembrance of, of oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it, so it wasn't cognitive. It wasn't like, I know what peaceful means. Mm. It was like, my word just came and collected me. And, um, and it was like you said, there was a, it was, it was all sensory, it was visceral, it was, it was, so it wasn't even that he said it, it's that that word arrived and I came back into my body and now kind of, and had a compass point, yeah. And can you say anything about, as you mentioned, it's like, it wasn't the words, although the, the words were a part of it. You can't say the words For weren't sure. a part of it, but the words on their own weren't it. And so is there anything you could say about what he means to you mm. that, that would help someone who might be listening from the outside kind of fill out right. what the experience right. was for you? Right. Uh, and I want to be really careful because I think we can totally lose our, our own home in our, what we wish someone might be in our life, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. um, really, he could be a tree. It just happens to be a person. In this instance, he in wasn't, this, but... It wasn't, right? I get you. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so what he, he means to me, what he, re what he consistently represents to me is, again, I can kind of track it. It's like everywhere I go, oh yeah, that's there. Huh. Um, he represents a timelessness of knowing. He represents a, um, a being seen, being seen uh, beyond seeing me personally. Um, he represents a, um, it sounds so romantic, but like um, he represents like the ocean to me. Um, and that gravitational pull of being. And it needs no maintenance other than on a human plane, kindness. But that pulse is there whether I'm kind or not. He just may not be. Mm. And so for, for anyone listening, I would say that, um, I would suggest anyway, that, that there are pieces of us where we're connected to the other Again, be it a person, a tree, the ocean. Because I actually have the same feeling when I'm swimming. Mm. I just don't talk to the ocean. But I do have that same feeling when I'm in the ocean. 
And I'm going to, I hadn't thought about this before, but maybe that's why it has so much resonance for me. I'm going to go back to the piece where you said that we are here to be with in our oneness. That wasn't quite the languaging, but that was the visual that I had. And for anyone listening, to uh, rem remember that w who was with you or what is with you is always with you. And the invitation might be to, um, sounds so on the nose, but to open up the senses you, you're not even sure you have, but, but you know, but you know, but you know, sixth sense, whatever, your 12 senses, your 30 senses, the senses that you know are there and lean into those. Because to me, that's what the peacefulness is, is leaning in to those senses and it, it's like the great invitation to be with. Mm. Yeah. It's like, a, I'm going to say gravitational pull. Follow that pull. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the story. I love it. And it makes me think about being on either side of that conversation. And, and, and mm -hmm. it's not that there's one side or the other. It can come in so many flavors. But, but sometimes there's someone who's who's being and saying something that changes the other. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're both changed by that, but I think you catch my meaning. But that if there's any kind of trying from mm. the person that's quote-unquote helping or, or being the, the catalyst for change, that's not it. And, and so it sort of it, it asks a question in me of how do we be that? How do we play that part in a, in a relationship or a conversation? Mm where it's, it's not really a doing, yeah. but it is yeah. done through us. Yeah. And, and it reminds me of just that example I used earlier uh, around the fundamentals first appear to have nothing to do with, with the magic that can happen when the mastery is there. Mm. And, and if, if we want to be that in the world, there are, there are ways of being and moving and living that, that uh, prepare us. Mm. To, to be, I don't re usually we use the word channel, but to be a, a kind of conduit or, or a vehicle for that yeah. kind of change, that profoundly positive, supportive evolutionary change. Yeah. And again, it's not, you're not trying to do that. Mm -hmm. You're not even really trying to help them. Mm -hmm. You're just responding. Yes. And, and that, um, for me, what really enables people to, to be and do that is, is their willingness to live all in, mm -hmm. and particularly in the face of difficulty and pain, and that real perspective, real wisdom, real discernment develops out of that, and, and then, you know, you're, you're not you're not trying to create impactful moments for people because mm -hmm. that's too coarse. Mm -hmm. it's, it's too it's too complex for that. Mm -hmm. It's too subtle for that. But you know the the ability for us to 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 reach into one another and to really be moved by one another is it's obvious we all know it and uh, yeah I, I love that that more of that is happening. Because mm -hmm. mm. I'm sure on some level he had no idea on all levels he had no idea. And it it challenges the word random. Because it's not random. I think random is just the way that we make sense. 
of it. It's not on purpose either, like to do something. It was exactly what you said. It was, it was a response. And it probably an authentic impulse response. And my impulse to reach out was the same thing. Mm -hmm. hmm. Beautiful. Tina, uh, that feels really full and complete for me. Uh, I always give, give a moment for people to complete for themselves if there's anything else you wanted to say. Um, and then I'd love for you to tell people if they want to find you mm -hmm. uh, or know more about what you're up to, you can let us know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's complete for me too. There's nothing else dangling there. Um, so you can find me at tinaolife.com. It's all there. All of my story work is there. I'm a writer. Enjoy. Read, listen, play, engage. You'll find me there. Thank you. Thank you.